Hello and welcome to episode 276 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this afternoon. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Friday, August the 19th, 2022, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, continuing in this month of August to honor, to cherish, and to love the Immaculate Heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And toward that end, we've been working through the text of The Glories of Mary by the great saint and doctor of the church, St. Alphonsus Liguri. This is the second part from his discourse on the Blessed Mother's Immaculate Conception. In the second place, it was becoming that the son should preserve Mary from sin as being his mother. No man can choose his mother, but should such a thing ever be granted to anyone? Who is there who, if able to choose a queen, would wish for a slave? If able to choose a noble lady, would wish for a servant? Or if able to choose a friend of God, would he wish for his enemy? If then the Son of God alone could choose a mother according to his own heart, his liking, we must consider as a matter of course that he chose one becoming a God. St. Bernard says that the creator of men becoming man must have selected himself a mother whom he knew became him. And as it was becoming that a most pure God should have a mother pure from all sin, he created her spotless. St. Bernardine of Siena, speaking of the different degrees of sanctification, says that the third is that obtained by becoming the mother of God, and that this sanctification consists in the entire removal of original sin. This is what took place in the Blessed Virgin. Truly God created Mary such, both as to the eminence of her nature and the perfection of grace with which he endowed her, as became him who was to be born of her. Here we may apply the words of the apostle to the Hebrews, for it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. A learned author observes that according to St. Paul, it was fitting that our blessed Redeemer should not only be separated from sin, but also from sinners. According to the explanation of St. Thomas, who says that it was necessary that he who came to take away sins, should be separated from sinners, as to the fault under which Adam lay. But how could Jesus Christ be said to be separated from sinners if he had a mother who was a sinner? St. Ambrose says that Christ chose this vessel into which he was about to descend, not of earth, but from heaven, and he consecrated it a temple of purity. The saint alludes to the text of St. Paul. The first man was of the earth, earthly, the second man from heaven, heavenly, The saint calls the Divine Mother a heavenly vessel, not because Mary was not earthly by nature, as heretics have dreamt, but because she was heavenly by grace. She was as superior to the angels of heaven in sanctity and purity as it was becoming that she should be, in whose womb a king of glory was to dwell. This agrees with that which St. John the Baptist revealed to St. Bridget, saying, it was not becoming that the king of glory should repose otherwise than in a chosen vessel exceeding all men and angels in purity. And to this, we may add, that which the Eternal Father himself said to the same saint, Mary was a clean and an unclean vessel, clean, for she was all fair, but unclean, because she was born of sinners, though she was conceived without sin, that my son might be born of her without sin. And remark these last words, Mary was conceived without sin, that the divine son might be born of her without sin. Not that Jesus Christ could have contracted sin, 
but that he might not be reproached with even having a mother infected with it, who would consequently have been the slave of the devil. The Holy Ghost says that the glory of a man is from the honor of his father, and a father without honor is the disgrace of the son. Therefore it was, says an ancient writer, that Jesus preserved the body of Mary from corruption after death. For it would have redounded to his dishonor had that virginal flesh with which he had clothed himself become the food of worms. For, he adds, corruption is a disgrace of human nature. And as Jesus was not subject to it, Mary was also exempted. For the flesh of Jesus is the flesh of Mary. But since the corruption of her body would have been a disgrace for Jesus Christ because he was born of her, How much greater would the disgrace have been had he been born of a mother whose soul was once infected with the corruption of sin? For not only is it true that the flesh of Jesus is the same as that of Mary, but, as the same author, the flesh of our Savior, even after his resurrection, remained the same that he had taken from his mother. The flesh of Christ is the flesh of Mary. And though it was glorified by the glory of his resurrection, yet it remains the same that was taken from Mary. Hence, the abbot Arnold of Chartres says, The flesh of Mary and that of Christ are one, and therefore I consider the glory of the Son as being not so much common to as one with that of his mother. And now, if this is true, supposing that the Blessed Virgin was conceived in sin, though the Son could not have contracted its stain, nevertheless, his having united flesh to himself, which was once infected with sin, a vessel of uncleanness and subject to Lucifer, would always have been a blot. Mary was not only the mother, but the worthy mother of our Savior. She is called so by all the Holy Fathers. St. Bernard says, Thou alone was found worthy to be chosen as the one in whose virginal womb the King of Kings should have his first abode. St. Thomas of Villanova says, Before she conceived, she was already fit to be the mother of God. The Holy Church herself attests that Mary merited to be the mother of Jesus Christ, saying, The Blessed Virgin who merited to bear in her womb Christ our Lord And St. Thomas Aquinas, explaining these words, says that the Blessed Virgin is said to have merited to bear the Lord of all, not that she merited his incarnation, but that she merited by the graces she had received such a degree of purity and sanctity that she could becomingly be the mother of God. That is to say, Mary could not merit the incarnation of the eternal word, but by divine grace, she merited such a degree of perfection as to render her worthy to be the mother of a God, according to what St. Peter Damian also writes. Her singular sanctity, the effect of grace, merited that she alone should be judged worthy to receive a God. And now, supposing that Mary was worthy to be the mother of God, what excellency and what perfection was there that did not become her, asked St. Thomas of Villanova. The angelic doctor says that when God chooses anyone for a particular dignity, he renders him fit for it. Whence he adds that God, having chosen Mary for his mother, He also, by his grace, rendered her worthy of this highest of all dignities. The Blessed Virgin was divinely chosen to be the mother of God, and therefore we cannot doubt that God had fitted her by his grace for this dignity, and we are assured of it by the angel. For thou hast found grace with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive. And thence the saint argues that the Blessed Virgin never committed any actual sin, not even a venial one. Otherwise, he says, she would not have been a mother worthy of Jesus Christ. For the ignominy of the mother would also have been that of the son, for he would have had a sinner for his mother. And now if Mary, on account of a single venial sin, 
which does not deprive a soul of divine grace, would not have been a mother worthy of God, how much more unworthy would she have been had she contracted the guilt of original sin, which would have made her an enemy of God and a slave of the devil? And this reflection, it it was, that made St. Augustine utter those memorable words, that when speaking of Mary for the honor of our Lord, whom she merited to have for her son, he would not entertain even the question of sin in her. For we know, he says, that through him, who it is evident was without sin, and whom she merited to conceive and bring forth, she received grace to conquer all sin. Therefore, as St. Peter Damien observes, we must consider it as certain that the incarnate word shows himself a becoming mother, and one of whom he would not have to be ashamed. St. Proclus also says that he dwelt in a womb, which he had created free from all that might be to his dishonor. It was no shame to Jesus Christ when he heard himself contemptuously called by the Jews the son of Mary, meaning that he was the son of a poor woman. Is not his mother called Mary? For he came into this world to give us an example of humility and patience. But on the other hand, it would undoubtedly have been a disgrace. Could he have heard the devil say, was not his mother a sinner? Was he not born of a wicked mother who was once our slave? It would even have been unbecoming had Jesus Christ been born of a woman whose body was deformed or crippled or possessed by devils. But how much more would it have been had he been born of a woman whose soul had been once deformed by sin and in the possession of Lucifer? Ah, indeed, God, who is wisdom itself, well knew how to prepare himself a becoming dwelling and wished to reside on earth. Wisdom hath built herself a house. The Most High hath sanctified his own tabernacle. God will help it in the morning early. David says that our Lord sanctified this, his dwelling, in the morning early. That is to say, from the beginning of her life, to render her worthy of himself. For it was not becoming that a holy God should choose himself a dwelling that was not holy. Holiness becometh thy house. And if God declares that he will never enter a malicious soul or dwell in a body subject to sin, for wisdom will not enter into a malicious soul, nor dwell in a body subject to sins. How can we ever think that the Son of God chose to dwell in the soul and body of Mary without having previously sanctified and preserved it from every stain of sin? For, according to the doctrine of St. Thomas, the eternal word dwelt not only in the soul of Mary, but even in her womb. The Holy Church sings, Thou, O Lord, has not disdained to dwell in the virgin's womb. Yes, for he would have disdained to have taken flesh in the womb of an Agnes, a Gertrude, a Teresa, because these virgins, though holy, were nevertheless for a time stained with original sin. But he did not disdain to become man in the womb of Mary, because this beloved virgin was always pure and free from the least shadow of sin and was never possessed by the infernal serpent. And therefore, St. Augustine says that the Son of God never made himself a more worthy dwelling than Mary, who was never possessed by the enemy or despoiled of her ornaments. On the other hand, St. Cyril of Alexandria asks, whoever heard of an architect who built himself a temple and yielded up the first possession of it to his greatest enemy? Yes, says St. Methodius, speaking on the same subject, the Lord who commanded us to honor our parents would not do otherwise. When he became man, then observe it by giving his mother every grace and honor. He who said, honor thy father and thy mother, that he might observe his own decree, gave all grace and honor to his mother. Therefore, the author of the book, already quoted from the works of St. Augustine, says that we must certainly believe that Jesus Christ preserved the body of Mary from corruption after death, 
For if he had not done so, he would not have observed the law, which at the same time that it commands us to honor our mother forbids us to show her disrespect. But how little would Jesus have guarded his mother's honor had he not preserved her from Adam's sin? Certainly that son would sin, says the Augustinian father Thomas of Strasbourg, who, having it in his power to preserve his mother from original sin, did not do so. But that which would be a sin in us, continues the same author, must certainly be considered unbecoming in the Son of God, who, whilst he could make his mother immaculate, did it not. Ah, no, exclaims Gerson, since thou, the supreme prince, choosest to have a mother, certainly thou owest her honor. But now if thou didst permit her, who was to be the dwelling of all purity, to be in the abomination of original sin, certainly it would appear that that law was not well fulfilled. Moreover, we know, says St. Bernardine of Siena, that the divine son came into the world more to redeem Mary than all other creatures. There are two means by which a person may be redeemed, as St. Augustine teaches us, the one by raising him up after having fallen and the other by preventing him from falling. And this last means is doubtless the most honorable. He is more honorably redeemed, says the learned Suarez, who is presented, prevented from falling than he who after falling is raised up. For thus the injury or stain is avoided which the soul always contracts by falling. This being the case, we ought certainly to believe that Mary was redeemed in the more honorable way, and the one which became the mother of God, as St. Bonaventure remarks. For it is to be believed that the Holy Ghost, as a special favor, a very special favor, redeemed and preserved her from original sin by a new kind of sanctification, and this in the very moment of her conception. Not that sin was in her, but that it otherwise would have been. The sermon from which this passage is taken is provided by Frazen to be really the work of the holy doctor above named. On the same subject, Cardinal Cusano elegantly remarks that others had Jesus as a liberator, but to the most blessed virgin, he was a pre-liberator, meaning that all others had a redeemer who delivered them from sin with which they were already defiled but that the most blessed virgin had a redeemer who, because he was her son, preserved her from ever being defiled by it. In fine, to conclude this point in the words of Hugo of St. Victor, the tree is known by its fruits. If the lamb was always immaculate, the mother must also have been always immaculate. Such the lamb, such the mother of the lamb, for the tree is known by its fruit. Hence this same doctor salutes Mary, saying, O worthy mother of a worthy son, meaning that no other than Mary was worthy to be the mother of such a son, and no other than Jesus was a worthy son of such a mother. And then he adds these words, O fair mother of beauty itself, O high mother of the most high, O mother of God, let us then address this most blessed mother in the words of St. Adelphonsus. Suckle, O Mary, thy creator, give milk to him who made thee, and who made thee such that he could be made of thee. So ends the second point on the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I've also heard it explained this way by Mr. Patrick Madrid, the Catholic apologist. You can have someone fall into a pit of mud and they're filthy and they can get themselves washed off, bathe themselves thoroughly, shampoo, conditioner, the whole nine yards, and they're clean again. That's the situation that the rest of us are in. We're all born as the heathen, but 
baptism washes away that mud, so to speak, the spiritual mud, the stain of original sin. The Blessed Mother, Jesus saves her by preventing her from ever falling into that mud pit. She's immaculate. She's perfectly clean in the spiritual sense. She never had that mud on her. So the Lord saves the rest of us through baptism, washing away the stain of original sin, but she doesn't have that stain of original sin because it wouldn't be fitting. To have the second person of the Most Holy Trinity be um, enfleshed, become incarnate in the womb of a woman who was a sinner would be most unbecoming. The perfect God needs a perfect mother, and that is the Blessed Virgin Mary. She's perfect in every way. So once again, I'm going to encourage you to pray 15 decades of the rosary every single day, every single day. Up your spiritual game. Give her as much honor and as much love as you possibly can. After all, this is the month of August dedicated to the Blessed Mother's sweet, perfect, immaculate heart. Oremos. Prayer for the hastening of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary by Bishop Athanasius Schneider. O Immaculate Heart of Mary, Holy Mother of God and our tender mother, look upon the distress in which the whole of mankind is living due to the spread of materialism, godlessness, and the persecution of the Catholic faith. In our own day, the mystical body of Christ is bleeding from so many wounds caused within the church by the unpunished spread of heresies, the justification of sins against the sixth commandment, the seeking of the kingdom of earth rather than that of heaven the horrendous sacrileges against the Most Holy Eucharist, especially through the practice of communion in the hand and the Protestant shaping of the celebration of the Holy Mass. Amidst these trials appeared the light of the consecration of Russia to thine immaculate heart by the Pope in union with the world's bishops. In Fatima, thou didst request the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays of the month. Implore thy divine son to grant a special grace to the Pope that he might approve the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. May Almighty God hasten the time when Russia will convert to Catholic unity, mankind will be given a time of peace, and the Church will be granted an authentic renewal in the purity of the Catholic faith, the sacredness of divine worship, and the holiness of Christian life. O Mediatrix of all graces, O Queen of the Most Holy Rosary and our sweet Mother, turn thine eyes of mercy towards us and graciously hear this, our trusting prayer. Amen. The Act of Consecration to St. Joseph by St. Bernadine of Siena. O my beloved St. Joseph, adopt me as thy child, take charge of my salvation, watch over me day and night, preserve me from the occasions of sin, obtain for me purity of body. Through thy intercession with Jesus, grant me a spirit of sacrifice, humility, self-denial, burning love for Jesus in the blessed sacrament, and a sweet and tender love for Mary, my mother. St. Joseph, be with me living, be with me dying, and obtain for me a favorable judgment from Jesus my merciful Savior. Amen. By thy pure and immaculate conception, O Mary, obtain for me the conversion of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, the United States of America, Canada, and the whole world. May all the words that I speak be so many arrows dipped in the blood of thy sacred heart, O Jesus, to pierce the hearts of all who hear them with love for thee. Amen. And now the three Hail Marys to honor the immaculate purity of the Blessed Virgin Mary and also for the defeat of the anti-God agenda in Chile and the people of Chile 
and for the defeat of this new constitution, which is up for vote in September. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae, amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae, amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae, amen. Virgo potens, ora pro nobis, Sancta Raphael, Archangeli, ora pro nobis, Sancta Iosef, terra daimonem, ora pro nobis, in nomine Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti, amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to episode 276 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. In your charity, please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Fatima Podcast. And most importantly, pray for the eternal salvation of all bishops. Goodbye and God love you.